Today on the show, Grammy-nominated Christian alt-rock band Small Town Poets and I chat about the early days in the band, being a part of the Christian alternative music explosion of the late 90s, uh, having a fan base that spans generations, and so much more on episode 73 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hello, and welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. I'm Nick Flora, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for listening. Uh, Today's episode was a fantastic one, especially uh, if you grew up in the late 90s sort of Christian music subculture like I did, which comes up often on the show. Uh, Even if you didn't, I promise you will still like it. There's there's great stuff uh, in this episode, Um, but I'll uh, share more about that later. But first, I'd like to kick off the episode by sharing with you what I learned this week. What I learned this week. What you learned. Okay, this week I learned that the etymology of why people say bless you when you sneeze, you guys know? It's because your heart stops for a millisecond, which I didn't know, which is terrifying if you want to overthink things like I do. Uh, but a millisecond is not long. So it's like, there, it happened. See, and you didn't even notice. Uh, so saying bless you, or God bless you, as my grandmother did, is uh, to give you that boost, <laughs> that little a boost over the hump of your heart stopping for a second. Um, that's fascinating to me, mostly because something that started out as a superstition years and years ago, surely, has essentially become considered etiquette. And if you don't believe me, let somebody sneeze around you and then don't say bless you after it it's it's like you spit in their face and told them their mother died it's awful it feels terrible that's a lonely few seconds when you don't say bless you uh, or at least seinfeld's you're so good looking one or the other that's what i learned this week what i learned this week what you learned a few of you wrote in and shared what you learned this week which I'm uh, very excited about. So uh, one being Chris Stein at Steinomite on Twitter. Uh, He shared maybe my favorite fact, um, fun fact I've learned in a long time. Rumpology. Rumpology is a practice from ancient times where an individual reads a person's butt just like a palmist. I'm going to repeat that. Rumpology is a practice from ancient times where an individual reads a person's butt like a palmist. This is a real thing. And he connected a Wikipedia page, which is fantastic. Uh, I'll read a little bit of it. Rumpology or bottom reading is a pseudoscience akin to physiognomy. I'll pretend that word's correct. Performed by examining crevices, dimples, warts, moles, and folds of a person's buttocks in much of the same way that you would read a palm of a hand. <laughs> I could go on and on. This is fantastic. Go to the Rumpology Wikipedia page and thank me later. And then tweet at Steinemite and thank him too, because that's fantastic. Uh, if you would like to share what you learned this week, um, it doesn't have to be as ridiculous as as Chris and mine. Uh, it could be something serious. It could be something silly. Uh, whatever it is, I want to know what you learned this week. So you can tweet at Who Writes Pod or write on the Facebook wall, Who Writes This Stuff. Or you can email me directly, Who Writes This Stuff Podcast at gmail.com, and I will share it on an episode. Uh, also, if you haven't, please go over to the iTunes podcast page and leave a review of the show. You know how you can like type in on like searching who writes this stuff on iTunes. If you go to that, there's a little star system and then there's a little where you can leave a review. If you do that, it helps uh, iTunes know we're here and get, you know, possibly get featured on their front page of the podcast, the podcast page of iTunes. Yes. Um, sort of helps, you know, get the word out, I guess. Uh, and I'll even thank you in, in person here on the show. I uh, haven't had a new review in a while. 
So I'm not taking that personally, but I'm just letting you know it hasn't happened. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm very excited about this episode. Like I was saying, small town poets has been one of my favorite bands for a long time. Um, they were very influential for me early on and, uh, the formative years as I was sort of getting into, you know, pop music or whatever. And I, I grew up in this very sort of tight knit Christian subculture where I wasn't really allowed to listen to, uh, you know, a lot of what was on the radio or whatever. And, but thank goodness. And I think I talked about this in the episode a little bit. Thank goodness that there were bands that came along that were under sort of the Christian umbrella, you know, but they didn't necessarily sing about, you know, all the sort of cheesy Jesus-y Christian stuff. They just sang about life and they sang about things we were going through. And like I say in the episode, like they, small time poets specifically were very witty with the way that they told their situation, their story. And, uh, Really great band, Michael Johnston and uh, Miguel Jesus. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Sorry, Miguel, if that's not how you do it. Uh, are great guys, and they they were on the show. And uh, I, I came down to Georgia, where they're from, in Atlanta, and uh, and talked to them for a little bit and hung out with them. Very gracious, sweet, kind individuals. And uh, they're still making great music. They put out a Christmas EP this last year and went on a Christmas tour and they're still doing stuff and they don't all live in the same place. So it's not as fluid as it normally was uh, or once was, but, uh, but they're still putting out stuff and uh, definitely a band that, that I would suggest checking out if you haven't, or if you haven't checked them out in years, uh, check in and see what they're doing. They released a couple albums in the last uh, 10 years or so that are also really good. That's the thing. I was just like, you know, there's a lot of Christian bands from back then that sort of keep try to keep the train rolling. And to be honest, it's not really, it's like, Oh, I see what you're doing, but it doesn't really sort of connect in the way that it maybe once did. And small town poets is not one of those bands. Um, they're fantastic. They keep putting out stuff that, that really resonates with me. Anyway, that's my, my own personal point of view. But I think that if you like the show and you, you share my point of view, um, if you keep coming back and, and you're interested in the things that I am, I think you'll also find them interested as well. Um, so anyway, let's get to it. This is episode 73, uh, coming on the end of season three. 75 is the last one. So uh, we're going to take a small break in between season three and season four, and then, and then crank it right back up again. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get to it. Here's my chat with Small Town Poets. But you guys started in Georgia, so this is like hometown for you. Yeah, Atlanta's sort of the Atlanta area, sort of the adopted um, hometown. Um, three of us went to high school together in South Georgia, and um, like Valdosta, like somewhere around Tifton, there? Georgia. Yeah, okay. Tifton is is north of Valdosta. Um, okay, just a little. Just when everybody says South Georgia, I just think Val. That's all I know. Yeah, you go through Tifton and you go through Valdosta on the way to Disney World. Oh, there you go. That's right. And, uh, That's what everybody we, knows. It. We moved, uh, the three of us moved uh, to the Atlanta area um, in the early 90s just to pursue music together. And, and, oh, really? Uh, yeah, just kind of made Atlanta the home. And they got connected with Miguel, who was moving back to the area after um, college and, and being a musician in the Nashville area. Mm. And, uh, and our guitar player, he's from San Diego, so... So who knows? He has a completely different story. <laughs> but yeah, we we've been Georgia, a Georgia band, uh, for you know since the inception. What what made you think? And you said in the, it was the early '90s. Like, what made you think in that time that this is a thing you could pursue and 
Because nowadays, anybody that has a, a camera and can post anything on YouTube or Bandcamp or whatever yeah. seems like, well, yeah, that's obviously a thing you can be. But back then, I feel like it was a little bit more difficult and more deliberate. Yeah, we were teenagers. So we thought we <laughs> Oh, just idealistic teenagers. That's all it took. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I was talking with some students um, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I'm a really shy person by nature, introverted. And so if you had said to me, you know, when I was in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, you know, that I would be the lead singer of a band, <laughs> I would have been like, ah, I don't know about that. You yeah. Know, but by the time I was a senior in high school, it's like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Um, not because I really could, but, you know, which, as you get, uh, you know, 17, 18, you, you start to feel a little bit more elevated about yourself maybe at least i did oh yeah i'm totally and, agree. and around that time um we were like well we're certainly not going to go anywhere in tifton so where where's the closest big city mm-hmm. and uh you know the atlanta area uh, made made sense for us to do that but that that's one side of it. the other side of it is that you know, from the time i was like six years old i felt that god was calling something out of me you know, musically and uh that probably gave me more confidence than you know, any personality or whatever. And then also having these great friends that I had, you know, um, met in high school and we had been uh, doing Bible studies together, writing songs together, playing for anybody that would let us play our music for them. You know, yeah. that, that can uh, can kind of galvanize uh, this idea that, hey, there's something here that we might be able to to, to pursue and, and um and have influence with, with folks and, and maybe one day write songs that people would listen to. Yeah. Miguel, when you were in Nashville, did you, like, what what was the move there, sort of? What were your, what was your goal? What's my story? <laughs> What's your story, Miguel? Story. Let's tap into it. Let's, we're going to fade. <laughs> well, you know, Columbus discovered Puerto Rico back in, well, <laughs> we didn't go that far. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I went to, uh, I went to Greenville College. I got there in 1990, which is in, in oh, yeah. Southern Illinois. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the Jars of Clay fame, Greenville That's College. That's right. Everybody knows now. Yeah. So were you there at the same time that those guys were? I was, I was actually a senior uh-huh. when, when most of them came in as freshmen. So okay. I got to have, hang out with them, got so to know them. So they owe you a lot. <laughs> they owe me well, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, and I got to know uh, uh, Charlie Lowe was, mm-hmm. was at the time, the keyboard player for Joseph Clay and, and uh, Dan Hasseltine. Those were the two guys that I got to know. So um, it's funny because even Charlie played keys on my senior recital in college. So oh, I mean, no way. old video, there's Charlie playing, you know. So we were friends back then. Then I graduated, and, you know, that following year, I think it's when they, the following the year, the year after, soon after they got together with their other members and became Jars of Clay. So yeah. That, that's my connection with them to some extent. I haven't talked to them in, in years. Yeah. You know, we kind of lost touch after that, after our lives just, you know, Let's call them. Directions. Let's get them on the phone. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Hey, guys. Hey, it's been a long time. <laughs> remember? No, I mean, those are great guys. They've been on the, the show before. They have a ridiculous, yeah. like, story about oh, yeah. how they accidentally became right, the, right. one well, of the biggest bands. They, they were music. just all incredibly talented kids. <laughs> oh, when they got together, no it's just, it just amazing how it all happened. But so, but so I was there with them before the Joshua Clay mm-hmm. thing, and uh, and you know I I I'm not trying to tell too much of my story, but I went to Greenville College to kind of focus more on the business side of music, yeah. studio recording, which I'm terrible at. But I I it was one of those guys that thought, well, there's no way I can be good enough to play in a band, so let yeah. me just learn the others. I can be, you know, the people behind the scenes. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah. music. 
But the, the college had a college band, kind of a student ministry kind of thing, and a lot of my friends encouraged me to try out for it. And I made it, started playing with this college band, and at the time, for me, that was a huge, you know, confidence boost. Sure. Like, hey, wait a second, I can I can play. Yeah. So from there on, I just kept on playing with that band, started doing some studio recordings, and when I graduated from Greenville, I was just another kid with a cassette <laughs> of course. in the back pocket from my demo. You know, the songs yeah. that I recorded at Greenville, which, uh-huh. which are hilarious now. If yeah. I were to play those back. So I moved to Nashville with, with a bunch of my friends from Greenville. There was a big crew from, yeah. from Greenville College like at that time. There's, there was a direct, a there's like a direct line bus that should yeah. just go between Greenville yeah. and Nashville. In that whole early to mid-90s or so, there yeah. was a huge wave of, of people moving to Nashville mm. after graduating from, from this you know college uh, music program that Greenville mm. College had. That's how I ended up in Nashville. So it was around 96, I think it was, that we met. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, we met through mutual friends. Uh, Dan, Danny, the keyboard player, Byron, our drummer, and Michael, they had just kind of left a, an older band of them called Villanelle, and mm-hmm. they were kind of looking to start something new. And through different friends and word of mouth and different things, we, we met, hung out, went out to eat together, and Really, our story is like we got along so well that I haven't even played a note with them and I was already in the band because we all liked each other so that. much. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, man, we connect. We see things the same way. That's, it was so, one of those that's things. so huge. Yeah. Being a band, too. Now, obviously, you know, we were all kind of going, well, I hope it works out musically. I know. What if you're terrible? You know, what if we don't have any chemistry music? It'd be really funny if the first time you played together, you just purposely botched it. <laughs> that was horrible, <laughs> horrible. But, you know, before we even started playing together, we all really, like, connected as just people, as friends. Yeah. You know, I, I really love what they were about. They obviously connected with me and my Spanish accent. Yeah. And <laughs> you added some flavor. <laughs> there you go. But we started playing together, started doing some, you know, shows from there on. And and uh, and once we, we recorded the first official Small Town Poets demo, started yeah. passing it around, things started taking off really quick. Put down my thoughts in a letter to the president. Penciled and packaged with all due respect. Elvis commemoratives just for effect. Never heard back, think you know a guy. It seems like you you guys like '96 and then '97 that first record, which I felt came out, which I feel like was everywhere. Well, that's, again, that, like, like you said, it came out in what early '97. I almost forget. Well, we had just met the spring of '96, or at least I had met the the three you know yeah. three guys. And same thing with our guitar player. We, we were all new. Kevin came in in the summer of '96. So I mean, we that's were so we were fast. just a brand new band and. The chemistry was there right away, and yeah. in less than a year, our first album is is out. So that's, that's how quick insane. things happen. I remember, it, man. I was I was in high school at that time, but that was sort of my. The, I was a prime. I was telling Michael before we started recording, like that was a prime time for me to get into music, yeah. and I was I grew up in a household that was. 
I wasn't only allowed to listen to Christian music, but I was sort of like pushed, like maybe this is what's allowed in the house. The other stuff has to go through, you know, a checkpoint uh-huh. <laughs> of my parents, which is uh, understandable. But like, I was so thankful for bands like you guys, and and there's a there's a a short list uh, of of guys that I've actually a lot of them have become friends with, and, and now being in Nashville, which is just a really cool you know life thing that eventually mm. happens. But uh, I was so thankful at the time for, it. but I feel like that whole time there was a slew of just. Uh, it looked like labels were just throwing everybody against the wall, like going up and like it's almost yeah. like they were just going through the Belmont dorms. I mean, like who has a guitar? You yeah. come, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was what was the landscape like at the time where you guys got signed to that first record and you started coming up? As far as Christian music or just the bands you guys were touring with? Yeah, you had you had record labels um, who had been um, promoting their rock band here and there um, that they uh, believed in and, and thought that they could get radio support with and that the marketplace would accept. And, and, uh, and so the, the pump had sort of been primed, you know, and there was a new radio format that was coming online at uh, uh, stations like the Way FM, mm-hmm. the, the CHR, Christian Hit Radio format, which meant that there were program directors and, 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 radio station owners that were being more open to playing uh, bands that sounded more current uh, and you know wouldn't be such of a whiplash from going from you know an inspirational song or a light adult contemporary song into something that had drums higher up in the mix and, yeah and, and electric guitar solo here and there whoa let's <laughs> yeah. not get crazy <laughs> yeah so so there have been bands <laughs> there were bands that were priming the pump for that that yeah. had, had sort of pushed the envelope a little bit you know um being pioneers in that sense but you'd always had kind of under the radar you know the djs that were that had the midnight shift on their local christian radio station that were playing bands that you know all of us would agree were probably influential on us when we were younger um and uh so i think we we were able to step in at a time when there were a lot of other bands like us who were um just wanting to continue uh in this um in this environment of writing songs that that christians would engage with but also try to write songs that um that would that would be engaging to people who might not be regular church attenders and, and might not speak the same uh, language in terms of uh, words we use to, um, shortcut words that yeah. we use to, to describe our faith or, or our worldview or whatever. And, uh, you know, there, there were other bands besides us doing that. There were other bands that sort of paved the way for that. But I think we, uh, our first record came out at a time when uh, radio stations were, I think, more ready for those sorts of things. So looking back, um, we talked about this, um, and uh, and early on we we uh, we uh, toured with Jeff Moore, mm-hmm. and uh, he's with the of, distance or minus the distance with the distance. Okay, yeah. good. Last was it the last the last tour? It was, I think, part? yeah, and yeah. yeah, it was the tour that never ended. We were like, it, I mean, that <laughs> really? was a hardcore tour. Yes, it was. It was amazing. But Jeff said something. He's like, you know, um, he's like, do you guys realize that? you got a song on the radio called Everything I Hate. And we didn't even really dawn on us uh, that that was special or unique. But looking back, yeah, we kind of talked about that, that uh, that was 
a pretty um, significant thing at that time. That because the been, title was so, it was uh, not scandalous, but it kind of had this sort of dark tinge to it. Yeah, and it's right out of Romans eight, and yeah, and uh, and and so you know it it's rooted in in scripture. <laughs> And, uh, but it was a very honest take on that. And I didn't write the words for that, so I can kind of mm-hmm. speak, uh, from, you know, a little bit outside the mind of the person that, that wrote it, but just, um, the, just, I think that song is indicative of where the climate was at that point. There were, mm-hmm. there was a lot more open-mindedness with, uh, with some radio programmers. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think because the church was gaining, um, more of a um, a perception that hey it, it's okay for us to be honest that um, that just because we're people of faith and we're believers we're following Jesus it doesn't mean that everything is hunky dory all the time yeah you can't have it's like okay to admit our struggles be a three dimensional person <laughs> yeah so the, you know yeah. these discussions about grace and and these books about grace. Uh, a lot of people were beginning to talk about things like that at, at that time. So, Well, it's uncomfortable. Those conversations are uncomfortable. And it seems like the perfect time to come through a lot of these bands to come through and sort of have the, maybe like the look of somebody that was, that was on MTV or whatever, or even the sound, like a lot of, but, but the, the, because I feel like a lot of Christian music at the time was like 10 years or 20 years too late. It's like the way the production was and everything. It was so dated immediately when it came out. Then when guys like, I remember like getting like a, there was like a late night block on this Christian television station out of Little Rock, right? Where, where I grew up where they play like videos from you guys and like Seven Day Jesus and, you know, even like Five Iron or Switchfoot and these, and it was sort of like, oh, like you can have sort of a fresh sound and like you guys weren't afraid, for me anyway, it was, you guys weren't afraid to use a little bit of wit, like a little bit of like actual wordplay and references to things and, and uh, I think like Prophet, Prophet Priest and King was like the first one where I was just you know talking about sending a wedding gift to right. Lady Die or whatever I was just like oh this is funny like it's not or more witty you know just that that wasn't what I was sort of handed yeah. by by like whatever the Christian subculture handed me at the time well and you, it's funny you mentioned that song because here we are talking about radio stations how they were kind of becoming a little more open to things that weren't just straight ahead, you know, mm. clean cut message. But yet, here we are, have, a, have we have a song on the radio called Everything I Hate, yet we also had an experience around that same time with a radio station where the the guy that ran the station, he wouldn't play Prophet, Priest, and King because the song did not mention the name Jesus. Yeah. So, even though it's Prophet, Priest, and King, which yeah. is, you can't get more biblical than that, <laughs> from his perspective, it wasn't a Christian enough song, or I shouldn't put it that way. It wasn't an upfront enough song, maybe. With the yeah. Name Jesus got to say Jesus. Well, that's just so, offensive. The the Christians can't understand irony and under like they they need they, if you layer a message in anything, they're not going to get it. That's so it, it happens, offensive and, and it's to still me. Around. That's still around. Sure, it's, sure. Still that's around. never going to go away. Be, yeah, it's always going to be around. But well, the fact that, that even thinking from a marketing standpoint that they're trying to it seems like they weren't even trying to reach anybody other than like people our parents age or whatever you know like there's but I, there was like this whole wave and for a long time I, I was so fascinated because I was just immersed in it that I, I wanted to do like I would honestly one of the impetuses of this podcast was to do I wanted to do like a documentary to go back and sort of talk to a lot of people from that 
Silver. You know, I went to Cornerstone 2000, and, you know, Five Iron Frenzy's playing the main stage to, like, 40,000 people, and you drive four miles to a gas station, nobody knows who that is. Like, it's such an right. amazing... Crazy. Sort yeah. of like, what world is this, right. you know? And it definitely was its own its own thing. Yeah. And I feel like you guys were sort of smack dab in the middle of that. We were, we were around... It's funny, because we, we look back, and we don't even... We've talked about this. We're, we're not sure where we were in, in, in that whole spectrum. Yeah, it's hard to tell, yeah. Like, like sometimes we're right in this middle of it. Like, people talk about Five Iron Frenzy. They automatically also talk about small-town poets. In other circles, you talk about Five Iron Frenzy, and who in the world is small-town poets? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think it just it, it, it depends on the taste of the person you ask, I think. Because yeah. there are a lot of people who love those types of, like, punk ska bands, who, and that's all they listen to. Yeah. But then there's me and my friends. Like, we just liked anything... We were big songwriting nerds, so if the yeah, songs were yeah, well written. Yeah. That's all we cared about. So like, yeah. I, I was in a band that we were trying to in high school, and we tried to like cover all our influences, and it just got ridiculous because, you know, we loved, you know, Cabin's Call, but yeah. we loved you guys too, and we loved yeah. Five Iron. It just got, it was such a scatterbrain. Yeah, we ran into that as songwriters. So uh, one of the reasons that we clicked so well with Miguel, um, is that. Uh, we, you know, in, in conversation and then as we uh, were playing together, we, we, we realized, hey, this guy's going to contribute as a songwriter, right? He's musical ideas, great, you know, melodic ideas and stuff like that. And then there was this thing of, you know, the influences. You know, we've got a guitar player who's, you know, he, he wants us to sound like Pearl Jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of the big vocal bands, you know, uh, of, Bands like, and when I say vocal band, I mean a band like Minute Work or yeah. uh, Little River Band, where you've, there's there's harmony and you know there's there's a lot going on vocally. Yeah, with uh, you know um, background vocals, harmony vocals. So you know we had those things mm-hmm. to work out as as songwriters. So even in the context of being in a band together, to be able to get ten or twelve songs that kind of hang together and feel like they should be on the same record it was really challenging and I remember even folks at our record company were like your record sounds like two different bands There's different aspects going on. You, you, talking just about the music, just just musically, we we all a lot of us came from, the, you know, the '80s. We were teenagers in the late '80s. So some of we graduated what between '87, '89, '99. Kevin was what early '90s. You know, he was the youngest one in the band. But still, we were from that era. So I personally, personally, I can say. I was into all the whole 80s bands, whether mm-hmm. it was R.E.M., U2, but I was also into your Def Leppard and yeah. your Bon Jovi and all that 80s stuff. I was one of those that when the 90s came and there was that big revolution with 
Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Mm-hmm. I got caught up in it. Hook, line, and sinker. I loved it. It was hard not to. I was one of those kids that actually started getting rid of my old CD because all of a sudden I hated it. Yeah. It wasn't that I was following the fad. It wasn't, oh, this is what's cool now. No, I actually couldn't listen to my old lady CDs after discovering the band project. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really affected me. So I was now into this new music that the 90s brought. I was uh-huh. into all those bands. And of course, into some of the 80s bands that still fit into that, like mm-hmm. R.E.M. and U2. Right. Well, in the Christian world, there were two bands that really influenced me in that same way that I thought were still like pushing the envelope. One of them was always the choir. I always loved mm-hmm. the choir. But there was an artist named Rick Elias who who ended up doing a few other projects later on with, with Rich Mullins. Yeah, he's a ragamuffin. Yeah, oh, so okay. Rick Elias put out an album in the early 90s called Rick Elias and the Confessions, I think it was called. Man, this guy, and this is a Christian album. This was in Christian music. Mm-hmm. And he put out what what... You can't compare it to anything, but he brought the same thing that, let's say, Bruce Springsteen used to bring to mainstream music, like a real passion, almost like it makes you go, whatever yeah. he's talking about. You're like, yeah, yeah I'm on board. I'm on board. That was Rick Elias for me. And all of a sudden, he made me believe that Christian music could be relevant and, mm. and, and powerful and, and, you know, just punchy and, and yeah. can communicate with the power that mainstream music was. Because, see, that's the problem for me before, that mainstream music could communicate, even if it was the wrong message. Yeah. They were communicating with power, while Christian music... Ugh, you were like, seriously? That's supposed to have, like, the greatest message. The greatest message. Can't get it across cause, it, because of whatever, yeah. the, you know, style so, or... All of a sudden, it, it was always a little bit behind, because that's my problem with Christian music. It was always, always yeah. a little bit behind. Uh, yeah. But they also started coming around with communicating... With power and honesty that happened in the nineties too. Yeah. And that's where we came on board trying to figure out where we fit in all of that. So here we are, we still have some eighties influences, and at the same time we also get and love what's going on now. Mm. When we got signed with Arden Record, we were, man, for lack of a better word, blessed with John Hampton, who recently passed away mm. as our producer. Well, John Hampton is of, you know, Gene Blossom's fame. Uh, yeah. uh uh, I'm, I'm losing what, Robert Cray. I mean, main, big mainstream artists that were cutting edge at the time. Well, all of a sudden, John Hampton's producing our first album. That was that's huge. amazing. So that's a big reason to why our that first album is what it is because he's got this freshness, this exciting that's all these really young smart. guys with John Hampton who's producing some of the hottest acts of the, at the time. That was a really you smart know. move by Arden to bring in like a producer that isn't really so keen on like you know, what else is going on in the landscape and just coming in to focus on, like, the music and making the song sound yeah. the way that everybody's vision sort of lies. Because they did that same, or Forefront did that with, I think it was Forefront who got it together with the Normals, bringing, like, Malcolm Byrne, who'd work with, like, right. U2, and some, you know, to work you yeah. know, on their stuff. And uh, Andy Osenga, who comes up on this podcast a lot, but he he was he talked about, like, this is this insane, everybody everybody in the band is just being a fanboy around this guy yeah. who created records that they were just, you know, loved. Well, here's, here's what John Hampton, I think, really brought. John Hampton almost didn't care that something sounded the way it's supposed to sound in Christian music. You had other guys around him that did, mm-hmm. that knew what, what stuff supposed to sound like to get into Christian radio. But John Hampton didn't. John Hampton was just a producer who made things sound as good as he wanted yeah. it to sound. So that helped us in putting out an album that sounded real. Yeah. Well, at the same time, you also had to 
you know, pull some, other people had to pull some, some strings in, in the sound or mix this a little different so that there's, so that it still can fit maybe into some of what Christian music is, or at least Christian radio. So yeah. there was that battle all the time. It's sort of the all Venn diagram. The time, it needs it. to like cross even just a little bit, even if it's not, you know, yeah. like the, totally fits. Oh yeah, there needs to be enough. It, where... it was hard to figure out, you know. And then of course, I can't imagine. we were we were young. All we care about is our art too at the time. We have a yeah. message. We want to communicate the truth, but at the same time, we were just honestly trying to, you know, we're not trying to fit in to Christian at all. As a, as yeah. a matter of fact, we were trying not to fit into that. We were just trying to do what we believed in, period, yeah. whatever that was, because we weren't even too sure what it was since we had just gotten together. Well, and it's such a, yeah, well, not, not only that, but just the whole sort of alternative Christian, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Music was such a new thing. Nobody really knew the limitations and where it could go. And then also, you guys were such a new band. Well, it was funny. We're trying now, to figure out band dynamic, I, I'm sure. I think that's hilarious now that... that you know, back then we were considered an alternative Christian band. That was yeah. that Ronson Post was an alternative Christian band. <laughs> I look back now, it's like really to me that's kind of funny now because a lot of nothing, it is straight line pop rock. There's nothing, yeah, yeah it's just pop. It's yeah. pop rock, but at the time it was very alternative. Yeah, you know and that 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 got used because it was the hot label yeah, that too. at the time, and it was yeah. just a catch-all for whatever. For I guess, yeah, not. You know, Madonna or whatever. whatever yeah, I people... guess, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an okay catch-all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, and it sort of—I mean—it helps you because we, as humans, we need to categorize things in our brain. So it sort of helps, yeah, in a way, I guess. But it yeah. is interesting to—I mean, did you guys get a lot of? Uh, I mean, your voice sounds very similar to the guy from the Gin Blossoms. Did you guys get a lot of comparisons to like a Christian Gin Blossoms or whatever? I don't know about a lot, but okay. I, I think it did come up. Because sometimes it's eerie, and I know I know you guys both separately, both bands separately. But sometimes I've definitely like I've said this before, but I've I've been in like a Chili's and there's the faint Jim Blossom song playing, and I thought it was you. I was like, is that Small Town Poets? And no, well, I, I think that there is some similarities <laughs> because it, it's 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 the same genre of rock, sure, which is just straight ahead. The guy Jim Blossom singer. Like Michael, it's got a very smooth, high voice. Yeah. So it's very, it can be very similar, you know? Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, you got John Hampton producing, who also produced Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's got to be some some things that he brought in that he also brought into Jim Blossoms. But, you know, early on, some people even felt like we sounded like Joseph Clay. There were people that when they they first heard Prophet Priest on King for the first time, they're like, that sounds like Joshua Clay. <laughs> then later on, after a while, listening to it more, they were like, I don't, I don't, I don't know yeah. why I thought it sounded like Joshua Clay. So yeah. It doesn't. But point is that our music, I guess, fit into what was going on at that time. Yeah. So initially, when you first hear when you hear a new band for the first time, what's your first inclination? It's always to pin them, to compare them to somebody, because that's yeah. that's. The only one you can describe, hey, I just heard this new band. What do they sound like? Well, you're going to, well, if you like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to name the influences immediately. To, yeah. yeah. It's not that necessarily after a while they really sound like them. It's just like you got to find a way to, you got to put them in a, in, a, in a box. And I don't mean box now in the same of box. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about you got to put them in a compartment. You got to put them in a genre. You got to compare them to somebody. So, yeah. So that's what happens with any new artist. That's why when somebody somebody comes up that there's, you don't know the influences of it, it's, it it becomes this 
thing like the, the changes or the yeah. influences are so far from each other yeah you know and are out of the blue it that's when i feel like artists nowadays anyway become just like we don't even know it. and right. uh, there's a guy austin cleon who wrote a book uh talking about a lot of the stuff and he said like there's everybody like takes you know steals essentially from all their influences like right. everybody does it but if you hear somebody like they're so original, it just means that you don't know their influences. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, actually, and to your point, um, I, I don't mind at all that uh, that folks have made that comparison with either my voice and his voice or our sound and, and that sound. Um, because while we weren't going after any band's sound, what we were going after was trying to be uh, current. But at the same right. time, at the same time that we wanted to be. Um, making music that our friends would like and that we would like. Uh, we also hoped that we were uh, going to occasionally write something that would stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's sort of a validation that, that we were making some of the right decisions and, and doing some of the right things in order to sound like the times that we were in. Yeah. And, and I also think that it has something to do with um, similar influences, like you're saying, um, because we heard comp, uh, people comparing us to Toad the Wet Sprocket and sure. and yeah. uh, other bands, and I, and I think you know if, if we we were both of those our band and their band were both probably influenced by REM. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is sort of in the '90s, especially like when you guys came up with sort of ripe for the like aggressive, not even aggressive pop, but like power pop kind of thing, where you know it's still the melodies are are strong and and poppy, but. The, everything backing it was had that had tinges of maybe grunge or maybe a little bit more rock in it and uh, I mean it, I feel like as you guys progressed like the albums got a little bit more rockin by each one at least had moments of it or whatever yeah I think that's true glowing eyes that ask if I would risk it all fight the crowding dark away and I can't help but you are searching me at the dusk of summer's first day. Fragile wings bring the messages of record so we came into that process with a number of songs that we knew we were were recording for the record and we had a handful that we were still working on you know here's some ideas that that we're going to bring and kind of uh finish them in the studio and we'll see which ones you know kind of make the cut and there was one song in particular that was a band favorite it was but it was an idea coming into it mm -hmm. and we had worked on it for for a couple of days and and uh, both John Hampton and Dana Key, who was uh, um, an executive at the record company and executive producing it, they both said, hey, guys, just, you just need to give up on that idea. Well, we stayed later that night, and uh, we were all just uh, sort of determined to, to finish that song and to, and to make it uh, be something that uh, we all really liked, that we'd all had input um, input on and I just remember that kind of being a galvanizing band moment where mm -hmm. not like we're going to do this because they said not to 
but maybe a little bit do it because they said not to. Yeah. Wait, what song was that? Did it end up on the record? Yeah, it's called Anymore. Oh, okay. It was, uh, I remember a night, it was an idea that I originally brought musically. Yeah. I, I hardly ever brought lyrics, but musically, and it just it just still wasn't totally happening, but us five guys in the band, we, we still got it. We knew what it was meant to be. We, we could knew. hear it. We could hear it. They didn't. They're like, ah, well, like Michael said, I remember going back and we reworked it. When the next time we brought it to them, it was like the light bulbs went off on really? everybody. They were all like, the, oh, yeah, oh, now I get, okay, and that's the song who, that's on the was record. Was this like the the label or the producers or who who was it that you were sort of having to convince? Yeah, yeah. producer, really, executive yeah. producer, Dana Key, did, yeah, you know, everybody, and and even lyric wise, I remember too. Danny first brought a treatment for the song, the lyrics. He he wrote the lyrics for the song originally, and 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 Danny's an amazing lyric writer but Danny's a different lyric writer than Michael mm. Michael's different than Danny and sometimes they both of them come together and produce amazing stuff that's also you know it's yeah. one of those records but that one for example was one of those where Danny wrote lyrics for it and they were great lyrics but me and Michael had a different vision for it like he's still I'm not sure what this song is supposed to say but it's not that mm. and thank God in our band nobody nobody's like Really, honestly, we can say nobody's prideful, but I can also, well, that's my idea. Yeah. We're all like, oh, okay, whatever. You no know, juicy right? stories no, of ego. No, like, that, that hasn't been part of our story to some extent. We're always like, oh, whatever, well, it works. <laughs> so we started from scratch, and then Michael ended up writing new lyrics for it, which is the lyrics that are in there now for anymore. Mm-hmm. That became that song. So that's a great story of how, an example of how we, even even as a new band. Yeah. We, we were starting to have a sense of identity. Of, no, we know what we want. We know we all have the, we, we all have one mind about this, even though we were still yeah. figuring each other out. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, nothing brings people together, like just something that's not working, no, saying the greater good or whatever, but like a, a project to, or a song or whatever, especially some new friends or whatever, to, you know, something like that. We're like, we can all work on this thing that is a little bit of all of us in it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've I've been in bands where we could never get on that same page. There's oh, always yeah. somebody who wanted to sort of take it and take the credit or whatever, and then yeah. it just falls apart. Yeah, but I mean, it's it, it's really hard to get that many artistic people together and not have one person who sort of needs to be the yeah. <laughs> the spearheaded ego, if you will. Well, I I think that I mean, in my opinion, I guess it just speaks to how much we really were all meant to be together. And that's I'm not now trying yeah. to get you know weird or or silly or whatever, but. It, it, we really all felt like we were in, in the same page. We really saw mm-hmm. things the same way. We all liked the same things. We all liked each other. Really, we all loved each other. <laughs> we're still like the best still, of friends. It seems like you still like each other, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm delighted and weirded out by this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. It's a, that's a really unique uh, dynamic. Because, you know, a lot of bands don't really even stay together, and nobody gets... There's like, you know, if you get stuck in a van for... 300 days a year or whatever with some guys you don't really want to see them uh, you know after after a while uh, did you guys tour a lot back oh, yeah. then yeah that when that first record came out um, I, and I, I, it's not a, a like a calendar year period but there was a period of 365 days where we did um, almost 270 appearances <laughs> so that included radio interviews yeah, in yeah. store stuff and and concerts so just think about that. Out of 365 days, 270 of those, 
we were on the clock or whatever. You yeah, were doing we, so- we were doing something. We were we were uh, playing songs from that record, yeah. talking about our story. Um, you know, we were uh, we were busy. We were busy. Was there a moment or sort of like in my head? I'm, I'm like directing the movie of Small Town Poets. Uh, but was there a moment where you sort of were like? Oh, this is gonna like this is taking off. Like this is people know who we are, or, or you know, being on stage and seeing like a large amount of people who know who are like, oh, they got our songs, they get it, and they're singing it back or whatever. Like, and how did that feel if it if that moment happened, which I'm sure it did. It, it did, <laughs> and, it, and it was pretty amazing because um, there is nothing like this in life that I've experienced. When you go to a place that you've never been to before. And you see a room full of people that you've never met before, and you start playing your first song, your you know, original song, and folks are singing it word for word at the same time you're singing it. It's almost like There's they know nothing it. Nothing like that. And when they, it feels like they know it on a in, more intimate level than you do. Yeah. Or in a, I'll say in a different way. You know, that's mm-hmm. when I, I've only had that experience a few times, but like that's you're right. <laughs> And, and there's something when it's a few people. There's something to that. And you know, we earlier on, you know, we had uh, had songs that maybe this or that DJ in that uh, city had had played, and so we came in and did a, a concert for you know maybe fifty to hundred people, and maybe twenty of those people knew the song, and that, that's great. Mm-hmm. It's just exponentially when um, when a room full of people, hundreds of people, have bought tickets and are excited about. Um, about getting to hear your band play these songs live. Um, one in, in particular was uh, at a college in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Mm. And, and it was oh, just, we had, it was just came out of the blue. And, and, and it was that, I think it was one of those moments because yeah. we, had, we had come off of uh, the exact opposite because it was right around our first record coming out. So we had played in a place where radio stations hadn't picked up a single yet or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or bookstores didn't have the end cap or whatever, you know. Yeah. Then, uh, then <laughs> we would be playing to a room full of people who were just kind of staring holes through us and going, why? you know, we we, we felt like <laughs> they were thinking, why are you here? Yeah. Well, and, and that St. Augustine show you're talking about, we had just played, right, St. Augustine a year before, that same area, I think. If it's Probably a place so. I'm thinking about, we played in that area a year before, to maybe 10 people, you know, because we're just starting out. 10 people, I think, showed up. And I think five of those were family members, you know. <laughs> and, and the others were friends that known us before we were a band. Right, yeah. So you could argue nobody came to yeah. a show, you know. No fans. No just fans. Like nice friends. Now, a year later, roughly a year later, that's when we came back and then played that auditorium. out of College, was yeah. it? An yeah. auditorium. So it was, what, a couple thousand, a thousand, fifteen hundred people That's something insane. like that i yeah. mean it was it was huge for us it wasn't now just a couple of hundred people it was yeah. like a small auditorium that yeah. we were like oh wow and i remember here's what I, is ingrained in my mind we're doing a show we're doing all the songs people were into it all the time it was great they were it was sold out there were people outside that couldn't get in that mm-hmm. came and couldn't get in i'm over here thinking what what and then i remember when we broke into uh, everything I hate. Mm-hmm. Again, I remember vividly. The place erupted through the whole song. People were like, I thought the place was going to collapse. 
That's ingrained in my Yeah, mind. you don't forget that kind I of stuff. I don't forget that. I mean, and the crowd sold out thinking, oh, yeah. I hate singing it back to us. I mean, I, again, it's been, what, 20-something yeah. years almost? And I still remember that, like, Vivid Letter where it gives me... Well, it's those moments when, it. when it does, it's not even about you. You guys are just like, the song... It's it not. Takes, you just said it. You just said it. The song takes on a life of its own. It, it's its own thing. It is. I think as soon as you sort of put music out there in, in recorded form... It sort of ceases to be your thing. That's why it feels weird to say thank you when somebody compliments your song. It's sort of like, you know, you just have to be blown away by yeah. the fact that anybody would want to listen to it yeah. and then listen to it on repeat and then come and see you play it live. It's like, yeah. you know, it's the craziest, you know, thing. I don't feel like there's a profession like this, you know. I mean, there's similar things, but but even I'm friends with a few like stand-up comedians who, who are like, who travel and tour and do shows and they're like, but every time they go back to a new city, even if it's a couple months later, they're expected to have all new material because nobody wants to hear the same jokes again. They're like, yeah. you don't know how good you have it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I never thought of it that way. Cause yeah. you know, you expect when you come and hear somebody speak, you don't want them to hear them say the same thing, but you love to hear a song over and over, over again. And, over and you right want now. it, you want them to play the old stuff. Yeah. When yeah. you guys did this last Christmas tour, did you play, you had to play some old yeah. stuff too, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. And it was funny to, Playing in a group of what, maybe 100, 150 people, maybe? And when we start one of those old songs, you know, which now we jokingly call the classics. The hits. All right, we gotta, gotta do play one the, of the classics. And we crack up every time. <laughs> the classic. Yeah. <laughs> and you hear one or two people go, woo, hey. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, so there's a fan out there, you know? Because there's a lot of people now that, that don't know. Well, sure. There's also a lot of people that come now. This is gonna sound really funny, but they come because. My parents were huge fans. Whoa, my that's parents were weird. huge fans, and they've introduced me to you. And I love you guys. Yeah, but but he's their yeah. parents. So I mean, young. I might be a little bit biased because I I have the nostalgia factor. <laughs> but I listen to you guys' records on the way down here just to refresh my memory. And uh, occasionally, if it comes up on shuffle or whatever, it's I mean, it's a welcome uh, addition to the playlist. But like, they totally hold up. Like, there's just there is that's something cool. you were talking about earlier. Like, you hope that there's a classic sort of, you know, and there's some of those old records that I used to listen to in high school that it's fun to put on and I can't make yeah. it 30 seconds into a song before I'm hitting next, next. Yeah, and the, like, but like the, you know, especially those first three where I feel like was sort of like the heyday of all that Christian mm -hmm. alternative music. Like the, they're, and you guys, that's, that's the crazy thing. A lot of people, when I, you know, even said like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to some of the guys from small town poets. They're like, Oh, I love them. Whatever happened. It's funny to be like, go on Spotify because you guys kept putting out music. And it's yeah. still great. That's what that's what's so crazy is I know that you guys stopped doing it full time or whatever, but like it the there's a lot of bands who didn't stop doing it full time <laughs> that you guys uh, were sort of lobbed in with, uh, who shall remain nameless, who keep putting out music and it just seemed to like I don't know what happened and well, you, we, you don't have to agree with this, but I feel like the passion died. The, the, they just stopped caring yeah, about a lot of the. Yeah. It seems like you guys didn't stop caring about crafting the songs well, which is why. I'm sitting here today, like, I am still, you're still as a fan keeping me, like, interested. I have a plan for you It will only take a lifetime to see through I'll show you where to start And the most that it can cost will be
<laughs> high fiving each other. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going because we like doing it. It's, yeah, it's but you can ride. tell. I mean, that's that's a huge part of it, as you can tell. I'm, and I want to think that maybe you guys do secretly text each other every day and say, "We still got it." Um, it it's but... kind of funny because there are inside jokes like that, um, and, and because occasionally it will happen. So Kevin, our guitar player, lives um, uh, just outside of Portland. He actually is. Um, lives in Washington, just over the river from from okay. the area, and you know, uh, several months ago, he walked into Starbucks and somebody pointed him out. Hey, are you serious? You're, you're the guitar player for Small Town Poets, and he texted us. Still got it. Can't even go, can't even go to Starbucks and get a coffee. <laughs> we, 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 that's our inside joke. We we say this out. We can't <laughs> even get a coke around here anymore. Put on your hoodie and shades, man. You got to go incognito. Got to. Uh, but, but even when we went in to record our Christmas album last yeah. year, for example, like I said, we were just, hey, let's do this because we have ideas. We we just are passionate about it. We believe in what we're doing, but we, you know, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We just like doing it. We love the, the fact that we still have the opportunity to do it, even though we all have lives and jobs and most of the year we're separated. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, he's, 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 he's on the West Coast. Yeah. You know? So when we get together, we haven't been playing together all year. We, we're rusty, if you think about it, <laughs> to some extent. Yeah, sure. At least playing with each other. We, we play, all of us are in worship bands and different things, so we're all active, but mm-hmm. as far as coming together, small time pose, we're all kind of rusty. Yeah. You know? All of a sudden, we start fleshing out these ideas, you know, like Danny sent us a tape with all these ideas for the Christmas album, and some of them we just didn't get. We're like, what is this? What's Danny thinking? Yeah, when we Danny's start lost it. when we start playing those ideas together, all of a sudden, boom! Yeah, it, it starts coming to life. So there, there's always something there that that I guess it's it's just it's crazy. We love it and we love playing together because something happens that we don't see coming till yeah. we, till we get together, you know and. Maybe it's a, maybe it's, it's a God thing, or sometimes it's just also something as simple as just the fact that we're all just really close friends and yeah. like playing together. We you know what? I, I'll yeah. admit that I'm a little bummed out. There's not more like bitterness and like chain smoking in this interview where you're not just like like just mad at different situations. That's okay, I guess. Well, and there has been there, there's been stories. There's, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's been there's been fights. We have thrown things at each other. It's happened. But, oh, good. I just need to know. But that that we happened. we get through it pretty quick. Obviously, yeah. We we, we really do. We. We really do like each other. <laughs> and that's, yeah, one of the things that uh, I think uh, is is true in that, um, you know, coming around an idea that we might not get yet, but there's a level of trust that we have, you know, that we, we extend towards each other because there is a history there. Yeah. You know, we know the songs that in the past we didn't get, and we mm-hmm. saw, you know, where they came and, and ended up. So... I think that makes us willing to be able to invest the time and the effort and the energy. It allows our families to be on board with it. You know, our kids are, you know, they're kind of yeah. into the fact that, that we still get together and play, yeah. play music. Um, and, and, and Danny's oldest has even gotten involved in what we're doing. He's an incredible musician. He puts all of us to shame in terms of just, raw talent and ability <laughs> he's yep. become like the, uh, the you've created poet. your replacement yeah here's a funny story about that because we we really are all excited about that 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 danny so noah is now part of the band he was the first band baby yeah. <laughs> since he was a baby he was a part of the band well now yeah. years later here he is playing live with us and he's amazing oh really well right when we were starting to book tickets for some of our christmas tours 
there was a couple of shows that we were thinking we're not gonna be able to we we, we might not have enough money you know we, mm -hmm. we're trying to make it work. we might not be able to bring Noah with us and there was a small freak out <laughs> <laughs> there was mutiny we we're like wait a second time out oh, no <laughs> you never leave a man <laughs> Well, uh, I'm, you've been very generous with your time, and we always wrap up the, the podcast with a few uh, lightning round questions to sort of end it on a... I mean, not that we haven't been a light and conversative this whole time, but uh, do you guys have... We were talking about musical influences earlier in Melding. Do you guys have a surprising influence that people, if they heard your music, would be, you know, a little bit like, really? They, they listen to that band, or they use that as an influence? Well, you know, it got so hard back in the day that we used to even make up names for guys and bands. You're not supposed to tell me that. You know? <laughs> you would just name off, like, we love Days of Crow. Like, you just shove, like, band. Like... Well, you know, here's what's funny. There were times where we will say a name. And the person will say, I love that band. That happens so, yeah, that's so true. Happened, oh, my know? gosh. I used to do that, yeah, on purpose, too. I Especially when you hang out with a lot of sort of snootier, holier-than-thou, like, hipster type. So it's really fun to name off somebody. To, to be honest, the, there's different sides of the, of the answer to that question, the influences. Well, as a Christian man, we were influenced by, by all the early Christian artists that were that were using Christian music as ministry. We wanted yeah. to do that. Yeah. We wanted to do what what the, what the Petros and Whitehorse and the Garmo and Keys were doing, bands mm -hmm. that, you know, that were... From back in the day, you know, yeah. from Keggy and all those, all those bands. So, were we influenced by those bands? Well, maybe not, maybe not so much musically. Maybe when you're here to smoke and pose, you're not hearing those '80s bands. Yeah, but were they an influence? Absolutely. Sure. You know, we we were even ministered by those bands as kids growing up in high school. Well, it's hard not know? to, yeah, when you hear something you resonate with it to let that that's gonna seep into your creative DNA at some point. Yeah, it, it's yeah. there. We wanted to do that. That's a great answer. There you go. I don't know why this is this has been coming up a lot lately. Uh, but what do you what do you associate with the name Keith? Don't Keith overthink it. Green. Keith Green. That's a good. One. I think that that one's been named before. Man, the first thing that came to mind was Keith Overman because I used to watch Sports Center. That was the thing in music. I've never at had all. that one before at all. You no, 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 you, you and I just music. picture Keith Overman doing Sports Center. I love, I love that question because it's because Keith. Well, I always say this, but Keith is such a time-stamped name. Like, there's not a lot of baby Keiths running around. But also, I, I, I love whatever wherever your brain goes, and, and uh, you know, my favorite is when somebody says like. I sat next to this kid named Keith in <laughs> second grade, and uh, yeah, he picked his nose and ate it or whatever. That's always what. I mean. uh, what do you What do you say during sound check? Check one, check two. Hello, hey, oh, hey one, hey two, hey one, hey one, hey one, hey one, hey one. Hey two. one. Hey two. And, and after Mission Impossible, I used to always say toast. Yeah, toast, <laughs> toast. That's what. Oh yeah. <laughs> I find, I, I, yeah, I find soundtrack to be surprisingly daunting when you're sort of put on the spot. <laughs> if you, and, and that's what I learned a while ago to like f just have a thing to go to, like yeah. just learn something, stick to it. But then you even feel silly if it takes longer than normal saying it over and over. It's just yeah. sort of like that's, I like the hey because you can go hey one, hey two, hey yeah, hey hey, hey yeah, <laughs> hey everybody. Like you just yeah, you can just launch and, it. And Danny's favorite is. Is this thing on? I, I hate these things. Is this thing on? <laughs> I can't tell. I can't tell. <laughs> uh, do you, what's hot your... Mic. Hot mic. That's amazing. Uh, we always end the show with uh, the, the guest sharing with us a, 
uh, harrowing tale of a bad show that you can tell? Do you have, when somebody asks you, like, do you, what's the worst geek you've ever played? I, I can tell by the looks on your faces and I'm excited about it. Did you already have an answer ready to go? We, yeah, there's several. Well, there's one. You that, can tell that, as many as you want. So but. we did a pledge campaign for the Christmas record. Right. And that was a really cool experience. And, you know, we were really skeptical about the, the uh, crowdfunding. Uh, oh, yeah. Pre-sale it's model terrifying. or whatever. <laughs> um, and I like the pledge model and it was a really good experience for us. And, and Kevin just did a great job of helping mm-hmm. tell the story and, and, uh, and helping um, get put things out there to remind folks of kind of where we've been and, and uh, mm-hmm. give folks things to engage with. And one of the things that he put out there was, um, and he framed it up so nicely, he's like, you know, go visit our, our Pledge Music site and find out um, what got us what song got us kicked off the stage <laughs> Wait, so what I'll song? put that out there and post so you, you can go to that and yeah okay. there's a video I mean, there's, okay. that, there's a, a video of uh, yeah. a medley of songs that we used to play and, and, and it yeah. got us kicked off of the stage so that that's probably up there but um, I don't know what's one for you that but it, the two come to mind one of them was actually one where we were being courted by Ardent you know, Dana Key came to see us at a festival, and we, we were trying to, it was one of those, hey, Dana Key's coming, we need to do a good show, because yeah. he's coming to see us, and they, it had been raining, there was a lot of mud in the little side stage we were playing, the stage was falling, was literally sinking, so we were falling oh, on the no. stage, Danny was hanging on to his keyboard so he wouldn't, he wouldn't fall <laughs> over, there were power issues, which was making his keyboard go out of tune, so his oh, keyboard no. was going out of tune, and the stage was falling. That was, and we somehow had to do a show fighting, that could somehow impress Dana Key. Fighting the elements. Oh, yeah. And then another one was in Jersey, New Jersey. We, we almost froze to death the night before. We had a mishap in our, in our, in our uh, RV, I think we were in, and almost froze to death. It was like the 20s or the 10s. We had no sleep, and then we had to do a show that following night. And they had an opening band that was local heroes from the area. You know, mm-hmm. forget the, the the band's name, but they were like had a huge following. They opened up for us. They were actually, you know, killing it. People were crazy, and then came small town poets with no sleep, all <laughs> rattled about what happened, and we just did terrible. Uh. And people were like, "You guys are signed. <laughs> we can get signed. Yeah, this band Good can. News. This band can get a record deal. We can do it." So we had a purpose. <laughs> Of encouraging people, you, know, you too can get signed. <laughs> this band, they look like they stayed up all night partying. That's amazing. I mean, there, there was a kid that actually asked Kevin that. You guys are signed? <laughs> Still got it. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to, to come on the show, and, and thank you for welcoming me into your fine state. I'm glad it's not overridden by zombies, as the uh, television would have us believe. And that does it for episode 73. If you'd like to check out any of Small Town Poets' albums, you can do so on iTunes, Amazon MP3, or anywhere music is sold. You can follow them on Twitter at Small Town Poets or on Facebook.com slash Small Town Poets. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Instagram at Who Writes Pod plus on Facebook com slash who writes this stuff also just another reminder that if you helped out by pledging to the podcast gofundme page this fall remember we did like a little revamp uh email me your t-shirt size and mailing address uh because those will be going out soon if you did 50 dollars or more uh get those to me um 
yeah uh who writes the stuff podcast at gmail.com there you go that's that thank you for listening oh my gosh this was such a pleasure uh for episode 73 and who writes the stuff i'm nick flora go to something creative